boa tarde. É um prazer estar aqui com vocês hoje. But I'm going to switch to English immediately because you don't want to hear my six-year-old uh, Portuguese uh, for the rest of this talk. So uh, I'm here to um, show you uh, a case study that I would describe as being extreme product design. So, and by that I mean really where technology begins to encroach on a new frontier of how people interact with it. I think it's a really useful case study for two reasons. One, it begins to uh, give you a peek into the future of uh, a future perhaps that none of us are really completely ready for. And two, it also shows that some of these best practices that you've been hearing about can really be applied to a lot of different uh, types of technological solutions. So uh, if you read any press and you see TV, you know that wearables are really a big deal these days. But you know, there's nothing new about wearables. Uh, eyeglasses and watches have been around for hundreds of years. Not a big deal. Um, we've added technology to them, and that makes them more capable. But they're limited by the fact that they're on the exterior of your body. What happens next is what, what's possible when the devices go inside your body. And it sounds like science fiction. But in fact, if you look around the web, you can find headlines like this, where there are predictions about the future of implants, and you can think of them uh, in terms of cyborgs and androids, and, and we're used to talking about this in terms of science fiction. And sure enough, you know, here's a claim all the way from 2014 about the fact that people are going to get uh, technology inside their bodies. And now let's for fast forward to summer of 2017, and here's the reality. In the United States, a company offering to put devices inside their employees' bodies. And the promise is really interesting, right? Some of you probably have cars with fobs where you can step up to the door and it unlocks automatically. Imagine that being uh, able to unlock your door, make payments, all kinds of things. There's a, a tremendous amount of promise there. We, as a company, as a consulting company, have worked on the problem of um, implants for over seven years now, specifically for uh, medical uh, use. But it's really the beginning of a whole new uh, generation of devices that go inside the body. To help you understand some of the work that we did, I'm going to give you a one-minute primer into the technology that we use. So one of the solutions we worked on is called uh, spinal cord stimulation. The idea is you take electrodes, you plant them along the body of the spine, you connect it to a computing device, a computing device that's controlled by a remote control, by the way, that you hold. And when you're feeling pain through extremities and through nerve endings, you, in essence, can create white noise in the spinal column such that your brain can't interpret the pain signal anymore. And it feels more like a buzzing. It's called paresthesia. Okay? So this is for people that have extreme pain in some parts of their body. The reality is when you put a device, I'm not going to show you too much gross stuff, by the way, so don't worry about it. Uh, the reality is that when you put a device inside your, your uh, body, it comes with all the risks of surgery. So this is what uh, surgery actually looks like for this type of implant, one for the computing device and one for the electrode placement that goes inside. Okay. Uh, because these devices often require recharging, uh, they often visibly protrude in the body as well. That's part of the reality of wearing this type of implant. Uh, That's a self-portrait, by the way, in case you were curious about it. Um, 
So, you know, often uh, these devices are, uh, are recharged through inductance and there's actually heat involved, uh, etc. So that's one kind of technology we worked with. The other kind is called deep brain stimulation. In this kind of procedure, you actually drive electrodes into the human brain to stimulate a part of the brain that gives you some benefit. I mean, ultimately, we're an electrical system. And as part of that electrical system, by applying the right amount of voltage in the right place at the right time, you can have tremendously beneficial results. Just like the spine, it has computing devices that go on the body. The exception uh, uh, for this one is that the electrodes and the electricity are actually directly in the brain itself. To do this procedure, it's a little bit more complicated. What you see on the left is people's heads have to be fixated permanently, in essence, during the procedure to drive the electrodes. And what makes this procedure particularly unusual is the patient has to be awake throughout the whole process so that they uh, can measure if their speech is being affected or whether their body is being affected. As part of the work that we did, I uh, went into live surgery and I had the experience of being on one side of the plastic draping, seeing a uh, person's brain pulsating with their heartbeat, walking over to the other side of the draping, and seeing them on their iPhone telling their wife that everything was okay. And that was a really extraordinary experience to see that, uh, as you might imagine. So that's deep brain stimulation. But, you know, uh, I could explain a lot more, but I think seeing is believing in terms of the benefit of this type of technology. So if you would play the video, please. So this is a, a patient who has um, uh, Parkinson's uh, types, uh, type of symptoms. So can you play the video? Or this is the song and dance portion of the... Uh, is the video going to come? It's going, oh, it's going back there. Okay. So uh, as you can see, this person has a rigidity in their body. And uh, if, uh, uh, these diseases are not just something that afflicts the individual. It afflicts the family. It, it really has a profound impact on everything uh, uh, around them. And I actually cut the video here because it takes over a minute to make this turn. Now with this device turned on, same patient, same day. So as you can see, the potential for betterment of humanity is enormous for this type of technology. So how did we go about working on designing a product like this? Well, it began with doing a lot of research. We went into patients' homes to understand what their lives were like as pain patients or patients that had these types of symptoms. Uh, one of the interesting things uh, that happened uh, after the fact was that uh, as researchers, we weren't really prepared for the emotional toll that dealing with these patients uh, was really going to be involved. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that all of us who worked on this type of research at one point or another broke into tears in dealing with some of these situations. But it was something that, uh, in terms of developing the empathy that was necessary to understand what these patients were going through and to do a really good design, it was something we had to commit to doing and that we did. Uh, one of the things that came out of that research was that when you start designing any kind of digital product, and often uh, hardware as well, you think about feedback in the form of noise, and you think of it in terms of uh, 
uh, icons and things that are being presented visually. What does it mean when a device is inside your body? And it turns out that it's a whole different ball game when you can actually feel the things that you're uh, operating. So there's all kinds of conventions that just go right out the window. Uh, not surprisingly, one of the things we discovered was how important usability and ergonomics was for these patients. This was technology behind, behind their comprehension. For some of you, it's the first time you're being exposed to this technology yourselves today, and you're highly educated and intelligent, and we're dealing in many cases with people that are from rural communities. So the usability was an absolute must. One of the ways that we achieved that was to use participatory design techniques. So here we took actual patients, and knowing that there was going to be a remote control, we asked them to design what an ideal remote was going to be for them, both in terms of form factor, level of complexity, etc. So we were able to get a sense of how many buttons they want, what kind of display they were willing to deal with, etc. So we let them uh, be in the driver's seat rather than it just being uh, purely a creative exercise. We also found that people's uh, feelings about what it means to have a device inside you were really profound. So thinking through how you present this technology was absolutely critical. Then we spent time dealing with the surgeons and the clinical part of it. And they have their own perspective on things. And as part of that process, we not only interviewed, but we gathered the material that they use every single day, the forms that they use to track pain, to deal with uh, patients' discomforts, etc., to really give us clues about what the experience needed to be for them. And um, amazingly, but not surprisingly, the uh, clinicians and the doctors wanted the same kinds of uh, usability that the patients did because it was also beyond, beyond their comprehension. And as physicians, they didn't want to spend time learning this new technology. They didn't want to learn about electromagnetism and all kinds of other things. They just wanted to press a button and the patient doesn't have pain or uh, has their uh, uh, problem solved. So, you know, in a conference like this, and when you start learning about product design techniques, one of the things that I feel really gets diminished in a conversation is the importance of creativity. Coming up with really good designs is not a formula. Everybody's looking for the magic checklist. If I do X, Y, and Z, uh, we're going to wind up with a usable, great product. But what you're going to wind up with is a product that fulfills a checklist. It's not necessarily a good or usable product. And for us, the creative process and how we tackled assimilating all this information and making use out of it was just as important as the research itself. And for us, part of our uh, secret formula is the cross-functional nature of our teams, where we have very different perspectives in terms of designers, artists, and technologies, technologists coming together to solve some of these problems. So just to show you some of the outcomes, this was a design we produced uh, for the surgeon, designed to be extremely uh, a simple way of visualizing the placement of these controls, including connections to uh, the hardware, extremely easy to understand uh, diagnostic information. So they're trying to put this together and understanding where the breakdown uh, perhaps might be in the chain of co uh, communication. We also went on to design the uh, industrial design of this remote, and uh, we took the emotional needs into account from the very beginning. One of the things we discovered was that People didn't want to be self-conscious about pulling out a remote in public. 
They didn't want people to know that they had a medical device on their bodies. So we intentionally designed it to look like a phone type of device, a modern sexy type of device. The other thing that you see embodied here is we actually discovered in our research that we needed two remotes, a really simple remote for some patients, a more complicated remote for uh, others. But because of manufacturing costs, there couldn't be two remotes. So baked into the design was this idea that the black represents a really simple remote, and some people could focus on that. And for people who wanted greater complexity, there was another remote, in essence, around it. So we used some trickery to address some of those uh, human factors and emotional needs. And if you look back, you can see some of the similarities to some of the things that people represented with Play-Doh in terms of how it was configured, etc. So we tied the design back into their expression, but also our observation. We went on to design the, the small menu uh, that worked on this device. And as you can see, it has some really strong color coding. And we built that color coding into the manual that we designed as well. For many of these patients, they tended to be elderly. So you can see the correlation between the colors and the sections of the manual. And the nature of the medical instructions, unlike most medications or medical devices that you deal with, it's not a bunch of words, but it is brilliantly simple ways of visualizing what you have to do. It's really hard for people to mistake exactly what they have to, have to do when you show them where their hand should be, what button they should be pressing to get the desired outcome. You also see the really large typeface for people that had visual impairment, uh, etc. So just to finish up, in terms of what's coming uh, in the future, that was actually, we've designed two generations of that technology. That was actually the earlier one. The newer one will be something that will be out probably in three years, something like that, because of the length of time it takes to put out that kind of technology. So the future, in terms of wearables, uh, you're going to see more and more about this idea of digital tattoos that are still on the surface of the body, but they effectively become invisible that they have molecular batteries, or in some cases have batteries and uh, generation capability that has to do with the actual chemistry of the human body. You know, we're, we're awesome electrolytes, especially when we start sweating and generating salt, and there's a lot that can be taken advantage, and as electronics are getting smaller and smaller, there's a lot of things that you can do, even with a, an incredibly thin uh, uh, component. I think augmented reality is going to play an increasingly large part uh, in uh, medical devices and these types of solutions. And overall, you're going to continue to hear consumers adopting this type of technology. Uh, Jordan, who spoke just before, was telling me yesterday that he knows somebody who's a dancer who has a device inside their body that buzzes every time there's an earthquake somewhere in the world and they're a dancer, and they incorporate that feeling of an earthquake into their dance routine. So this isn't science fiction. This is here right now. And you're going to see over the next decade that many of you may wind up dealing with this question, both moral, ethical, and technological, of what it means to have devices inside your body. Effectively, looking at technology not as a, an adjunct to the human experience, but really an augmentation of the human experience. Muito obrigada. Thank you. Have a great day. Give it to the other.